We're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 9, if you want to find that in your Bible. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. But before we get to that place, thanks Brent, before we get to that place, uh, if you were here last week, you, you probably remember seeing this billboard that is plastered up on the screen. Uh, it is uh, the beginning of a new series entitled, Three Words on a Billboard. And if you had the opportunity to just have a billboard company come up to you and say, I know billboards are expensive to lease, but we're going to give you two months to just put whatever message on that board for whoever to see that drives by it every day that would be specifically from you. And what I thought was, how is it that each of us would define that message. Maybe another question would be, who is Jesus to you? Because it starts off with the name Jesus. And last week I asked some of you, uh, if you if you're here, to write down what you thought the next two words are. And I did get a response. Uh, and, and I really like the responses because I think they, they're, they're hitting the target pretty close. I won't guarantee that they're there. But maybe they are. It's yet to be revealed. In doing that, there were three people that said, Jesus is love. There, were, there was one person that said, Jesus is forgiveness. There was another one who declared, Jesus is Lord. And finally, there were three people that said, Jesus is our Savior or he saves. And the whole point was to try to get out of your heart into words those descriptors that really define how you understand him. And I think everybody has to come up with a definition of some sort in order to be able to carry him around and relate to him. But the thing is, he's not reducible to just words. He's so much more than that. However, I think if you're like me, you've carried around different features, characteristics of Jesus in your heart, and maybe somebody's asked you, and you've given a response. I'm going to show a clip of just some random people on the street being given that question. Who do people say that Jesus is? And uh, maybe you're thinking about people in your world, uh, but for right now, let's take a look at people just off the street. I think he was just a person. I don't know. Just a normal person like us. He was a selfless person. I have no clue. He was a man. I think he was marketing genius because he got people to believe him. I don't. I don't think he's the son of God. I don't believe that at all. If David Copperfield was in the day of Jesus, he would be Jesus. Pretty sure he existed. Like I'm not gonna say that he didn't exist. He was God's son, but so was Gandhi, and so was Muhammad, and so was you know we're all God's children. Jesus is someone I pray to. Well, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, um, and He 
to me is the like symbol of just ultimate forgiveness and ultimate love. He's sort of that like constant figure in my life. Jesus is also Isa in Arabic and he was a messenger as well. He was just extremely enlightened like religiously and morally. Was somebody that um, just tried to um, impart wisdom on others and um, make the world a better place. I think he saw something that a lot of people didn't see and still don't see in others. And I, I think that's just a lot of love and, and hope. Jesus sort of seemed like an ominous uh, figure. You know, he just, he, he was God, and it was hard to relate to him. But I think as I've grown in my faith a lot, I've really started to see Jesus as my closest friend. When you're younger, maybe you're like me, you had... Uh, while you're in college or while you're just kind of getting your sea legs with life as an adult, you had a summer job. And the summer job that I had actually involved painting billboards. For two summers, I painted billboards alongside another fellow named Lonnie. And an elder in the church owned this sign company. And that's all they did was just put up signs and paint billboards. And I was gainfully employed uh, painting Ramada Inn signs. I can't even begin to count the number of Ramada Inn signs that we painted, uh, but it, was, it had to have been 20, 25 of them, and they were all different. However, they all said the same thing, just simply Ramada Inn, and then the location, Effingham, Illinois. And you could drive pretty much anywhere within a 25-mile radius, and you would see these signs all over the place. And the fellow that I was working with that summer and the next summer was a kid that I saw unraveling. He was uh, similar in age, been homeschooled, went to a Christian school for a while, and then decided it was time to do the rum springa. Only he never got the memo that he should stop. He just kept going. And Lonnie and I would talk as we were painting because back then you didn't have the stretch vinyl over them. You had to literally go and paint them. And we'd be painting and we'd be talking and talking about the Lord and talking about just everything in life. And as we did that, I kept thinking about these signs and wondering how long these things are actually going to be up there. It lasted about four years. And the Ramada Inn itself lasted about six before it burnt to the ground and was gone. And I thought, what a waste in hindsight that we spent all those summers doing that effort for that business only to watch it disappear. And yet when you look at that billboard up there, you find that it's a name that is perennial. It just goes on and on and on. There's no crushing it. There's no burning it down. There's getting rid of it. It is a name that you will find wherever you go on the planet, somewhere somebody has something to say about that name. And the question that I have for you, and it extends into your larger circle of friends, is who are people saying that Jesus is? It's a question that actually is embedded right there in scripture in Matthew 16 and Luke 9. It's one that Jesus anticipated because he knew that the whole reason why he came to this planet was to disclose something to you and I that had never been seen before. And that is God manifesting in the flesh in a way that was just going to change everything. Now, interestingly enough, even though the Ramada Inn signs are gone and the actual hotel is, is just uh, 
pro, it's a gas station now, believe it or not. The name of Jesus connected to the lives of the people here on earth goes on and on. And everybody has their own relationship to that name as you saw there. Everybody had a category in their head about who Jesus is. And for them, they'd sort of settled it. My friend Lonnie, he was sort of the kind of guy that went to all of the religious activities growing up and he felt like there was a certain emptiness to that. And his catch-all definition for the name of Jesus was represented in those experiences that he turned his back on. At the end of the day, he's like so many people. You go to school, you study science, you study math, you study mechanical things perhaps, or you study um, home economics, and then perhaps you study Jesus, and that's a topic alongside religion. And in your mind, you just got all these sort of ideas in your head about what each one represents. The thing about Jesus is he's not reduced to a category in our minds, but rather he is a person that just keeps living on and on forever. And some I know that are in your world and mine have basically said, I've got my own definition of Jesus and religion and I'm moving on. Others, however, I, I think could honestly say, Jesus as a name is almost a mystery because just when I think I've got him figured out, he shows me something else about him. When you're a little kid, you sort of identify him with your parents' faith. As you get a little bit older, you, you start to think about him in terms of uh, reading your Bible and doing good things and perhaps going to, to youth group or, or, or gatherings where other people socially are aligned for that understanding. You get a little bit older and you go to college and your view of Jesus really is challenged because you start to think, all right, now I'm going to college. They're not talking about Jesus. We used to talk about him, but the truth is we kind of grow past him. Not realizing the whole time he's never grown past any of us. Now some of us, we go to college and then we start life. We get married, we have kids, we have a family, we have challenges, mortgages, car payments, health issues, and it starts to become clear life is a little bit overwhelming and we find ourselves going back to that person named Jesus. Because somewhere in the midst of all the chaos that our lives becomes, he's sort of the perennial constant. He's the guy that is always there for us. We go to him in prayer. We say, Lord, I have this challenge here. I have this issue here. I have this concern here. I'm over my head. I'm overwhelmed. And some people in their late 20s and early 30s start to say, I'm not sure clearly who Jesus is. All I know is that he is my best answer right now. And out of desperation, we maybe go to him and we start to draw from him life-giving resources a sense of his presence and provision. And there's a richness that we didn't see before that he starts to fill into our lives. And as each stage of life unfolds, Jesus actually, because he's sort of an unfolding mystery, up to this point we kind of have an understanding at different places in life and different needs. But as he unfolds, each stage, Jesus says, 
in this moment in your life, maybe when your kids are leaving the nest, or maybe when you're facing a, a concern that has to do with your health, I'm this for you. And I'm going to be this to you in this moment. Last week I had the opportunity to go and share with a family who was gathered in a circle around a, a mother that is well into her 80s and she's going to be with the Lord. And there's this sense in the mind of that mom who's getting ready to pass from this life to the next. She's wondering, who is Jesus in this moment? And my job as a pastor maybe is to come alongside the family and say to the kids, you need to, you need, you need to let her go. Or to those who haven't reconciled their differences, you need to sort it out. And then I'll pray. Many times the person who's dying may not be responsive, but when you're praying and you start talking about who Jesus is in that moment, you can feel them squeeze your hand. They know. They're hearing it. And they're really wanting to know. I've seen Jesus in different ways throughout the course of my life. But who is Jesus when I cross that divide between this life and the life that none of us on earth have, have seen or experienced? And it's just this unfolding mystery of who he is at each place in life that we start to take hold of if we, if we begin to settle that question somewhere along the way. And I'm just going to start off by, by looking at Matthew, or Luke chapter 9. And in, in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 and following, this question is on the surface. And this is, how, this is how Luke writes it. Now it happened that as he was praying alone. I'm going to just stop there for a second as I get into this. Because Jesus is anticipating something. He's anticipating that a conversation is getting ready to happen. It's been in the air for a while. People are already murmuring about it. And there's talk going on uh, just off in the distance about who is this Jesus? He has been so disruptive in good ways and bad ways that everybody's asking, who is this new kid in town? Who is this guy who is representing something that we've never seen before? And the identity question was the elephant in the room. And Jesus is praying. And here's what I think he's praying about. I think he's praying that the disciples that are following him can get a clear grasp of who his identity is. But I think he's praying beyond that, that the people that need to know that God has come in the form of a man and offering so many things in so many ways to lives that have been so disconnected, he's praying that they will see it. And on that note, I want to just fast forward into this moment. Because some of us in the room have settled. We're, we're good. And we see that each phase of our life, Jesus has kind of meant a unique thing relative to what we're going through. But we want to share it with other people and we honestly are frustrated because we don't feel equipped. We don't feel like we have the words. And when we see those people who have just locked him down into a category or a definition, but have so much pain or so much anger or just are dealing with so much that God could really be 
the difference maker in their lives. We see that and we say, how do I take what I know in my heart for Jesus to be as he's been that person in so many ways to me over time? How do I take him and make him come alive in the hearts of other people? I think your answer is right there. I, I wouldn't even attempt to tell people about Jesus without praying. Because it is such a deep reality that at the deepest level of our being, there has to be a change. And words alone aren't going to make it happen. It has to be a change of heart at a spiritual level that begins with God working. One of the things that I noticed when a person starts to ask that question themselves in earnest is they go through a struggle. Life gets a little weird and a little bit wobbly. Everything is a little bit disoriented because before the question came and you sincerely said, I need to answer this for all practical purposes in my life. Life was good on one level, but clearly missing something. And now that he's here, right front and center, and I'm starting to take hold of it, life is kind of going like that. And I want to tell everybody that is answering this question for themselves, it will. Because there are larger forces at work that want to keep you from coming to him and answering that question in a way that changes your life. Jesus knew that about us and he said, I have to pray. I have to pray that they'll get it, that the eyes of their heart will be opened up. And so when he was done praying, these guys show up and they say, or he asks, he asks, because he's setting this up. He says, I'm hearing people talk about me and I know there's a lot of different definitions about who people think I am. And like, like so many of us, we at least have to have some kind of story that makes sense. So I want to know, who do other people say that they think I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets of old is risen. But he looks at them and he says, all right, you've been with me a while. Who do you say that I am? And Peter just blurts it out. The Christ of God, the Messiah of God, the, the King of God's people. That's what the anointed, the word Messiah and Christ means, the anointed one, like King David. He said, you are the king. You're the one that is truly in charge. You are, you are indescribable. And Jesus said, don't go too far with that because that's pretty inflammatory stuff to say that I have that much clout and that much power. Here's the thing that you got to appreciate and Luke doesn't really talk about it but the setting here is significant. In Matthew 16, you know where Peter is asked the same question and Matthew describes it a little differently and Jesus said, you know, you are the Christ the son of the living God. The very location that, that that question was asked was at a place called Mount Hermon. All right, with me so far? I probably should have had a graphic for it. I'm sorry. And the, Mount Hermon was the tallest peak that was in the Holy Land. 
And at the base of Mount Hermon was this cave that in the time of Jesus had water rushing out of this cave. And it would be about half the size of this room. And did you know that cave was called the gates of hell? Because in the intertestamental literature, it was believed that underneath Mount Hermon was where the, the, the rebellious angels were cast to the deepest darkness, the place the Bible calls Tartarus, which is like the bottom of the abode of the dead. It's hell. All right, you with me? Here's a mountain. Here's a mouth. Here's the disciples. Here's hell down here and the forces of hell and the authority of Satan who, by the way, earlier took Jesus to the top of this highest mountain and he said, On, let's just look at everything that we can see from the top of this mountain, Mount Hermon. Everything that you see, Jesus, in another scene prior to this one, Satan says, I give it all to you. It's yours. Just got to do one thing. Just bow down and worship me. Can you do that? And if you do... On this high mountain, see everything, yours, I'm the only one in charge. Other than that, next to me, you're second in command. Jesus remembered that conversation. And so he trekked 25 miles from up north to this place to ask this question. Who do people say that I am? And within visual uh, uh, distance, probably about 50 yards away, is the gates of hell just gushing water out. And everybody knew it. And he's wanting to make a statement. You see what's going on here? The authority of Satan, the angels and their darkest machinery at work in the deepest part of this mountain, inflicting upon untold humanity, disease and sickness and chaos and death. We're here to make a declaration. So many times this happened in the writing of the Gospels. Jesus said in different forms, one way or another, those guys are getting kicked out. And I'm in charge. And it wasn't an arrogant, I'm in charge. But rather it was, I'm here to deliver you from that. That will not stand against your church. Or against my church rather. That Peter is going to represent as well as the apostles. And so when he asked the question, who do people say that I am? It's a loaded question with lots of drama going on in the backdrop. And Peter immediately says, you're in charge. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. Shh. Don't get him riled up too fast. We're not ready to go there yet. You with me? But here's the question. Who do you say that Jesus is. And let's just put that question up there. Because it's a question that people have been pondering for a very long time. Just catch that real quickly. Because if he says that too loudly, the henchmen are going to come and get him. 
When they do, however, I'll validate what I've just established here by proving to you that on the third day, death will no longer keep me captive. And if you trust me, it won't keep you captive either. And these guys had to wrap their minds around everything that's going on and it really took them a long time like it takes us. Because I don't think any of us, when we ask the question, who do you say Jesus is, really can fully understand the mystery. I think a lot of us find that through trial and through challenges and through even facing the forces of hell, we start to come around and we realize, ah, oh, he's the answer in so many ways. So here we have it. The first question, who do people say that I am? And a lot of people did not understand Jesus in his day. And that question was being bounced around all over the place. In your day, pertaining to that question, you go to a family gathering, you go to work, you talk to people like my friend Lonnie, and you're asking the question in the back of your mind, if I bring up Jesus, how are they going to respond? Who do they say that he is? And a lot of people will say, I believe, but I just don't believe in church. I don't believe in being around people that are hypocrites. I believe, but I also believe in other religions. And some people have gotten comfortable with their own ideas and taken the church out of the equation when the fact of the matter is, Jesus said, I'm not going to establish that I am who I am without the church being the vessel for proclaiming this good news. And so it's an it, it, important question if you are part of the church. You need to be clear on who Jesus is. Because people are going to be asking other people around you, does that person really represent Jesus well? My vision of who I think Jesus is? And chances are, if they're trying to answer that question, who is Jesus? They're looking at you. And they're saying, that person goes to church? So they're pointing the way. So the more you're a part of this gathering, the more we got to be true to our billboard, to what we are saying, both behaviorally and, and literally. And that probably won't happen until we get a good connection with Him. Not with the information, but with Him. And if it's there, people will see him. If it's not there, they won't. Can I just sidebar for a second? Because I honestly believe that people are breaking away from church for a variety of reasons. One of them is cultural Christianity has been a comfortable thing for a long time. And the culture has reinforced what we do. And is sort of wind at your back going forward. And it's easy for people to say, I'm a Christian, but not really give it much of an effort or a thought. And there are a lot of people who are saying, I, I'm interested in Christianity, but I'm not interested so much in what you say as how you behave it every day. Now, if you can show me behaviors that will help me spiritually to be a better person, I might consider it. 
And the one thing we know about Jesus, what he said and what he did were kind of bundled together. And we kind of have to recapture that. Because people are asking again, who is Jesus? And if they see you just, if they see you living it out, they're going to pay attention. But I also worry a little bit about who you say Jesus is. And that's my job as a pastor. To help you not only understand about him, but also understand him as a person. Because like any relationship, there is a, there is a give and take dynamic. And he's, and he's with you. And especially if you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior, he's tracking along with you. He's even letting you, like the disciples, go through challenging times, frustrating times, so that he can kind of work up what's inside of you, so he can work it out and fill yourself with something better. You know, when I, when I, got, when I got married, I, I was what you would call uncivilized. But after 30 years of marriage, I pick up my clothes off the floor, I do the dishes, I even gas up her car. I, I'm considerate, I leave the toilet lid down when I'm done. I mean, something happened. It wasn't just a one-way street, but rather... The interaction of somebody over 30, 30 some years changes a person. But if somebody just said, yeah, I'm married to this person, but it's all in theory. Like here's who she is, what she's like, what she believes, how she lives, her story. I believe her, believe in her. But I didn't spend any time with her. See how that doesn't work? And for the Lord, it's really no different. So I wonder when you say, who is Jesus to each of us? And you're on an elevator and you just had a little bit of time to, you're on the third floor at, at Salem Hospital and you're going down to the first and there's somebody in there and God's just giving you this moment and you just say, okay, I've got to say what is on my mind about him that words can't even begin to describe to you and hopefully through the shortcomings of language you'll see him. What would you say? What three words would you say? Because you know how fast those elevators are. They're, they go down pretty too fast because I'm sure there are some days you're on your feet and you're like, man, I wish this elevator went slower. Jesus means what to you? What would you say? Because I, I honestly think that if you took the name Jesus, I think it's a compressed word, which means that you say that name, but when you decompress it, it's like, oh, it just blows your mind. Jesus is love. He is the high priest. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the son. He is filled with compassion. He's also a judge. I mean, th the name just explodes into all kinds of characteristics that have to do with every part of our existence. He is that powerful. When he's looking at the gates of hell, 
pouring out water and terror into the lives of the people who actually set up altars to Baal in that area because they thought it was a spiritually charged location. He's saying to them, they don't have any power compared to the power of who I am. And your life and mine really is just an ongoing experience of associating our lives with him in everything that we go through. Taking our fears, taking our doubts, taking everything that is just categorically disbelief and a lack of trust in God. And Jesus is saying, all of those areas, your money, your relationships, your career, your vocation, your uncertainties, your health, all of those things, I have the authority and the power that you need over so you can go through those things and know that I'm going through them with you. I can't explain that enough. But chances are, some of you are saying, Leonard, you don't have to explain it anymore, but I do need to see this from you. I need to see you live it out so I can know what it's like to be apprenticed into following Jesus. And I'm not the perfect person to mentor people into that role, but I don't take it lightly either. He's like my kids, you know, I can tell them all day long sermons, but whatever I'm doing, they're doing. You can guarantee it. And it's the same with Jesus. Whatever he's doing, we just mimic it. And in the lives of the people who are asking the question, who is Jesus? Hopefully when they see us, they see him. What three words would you put on that billboard? Feel free to put it on your connect card. Feel free to share with me sometime after the service. But where I'm going with, with this is intentional. Because when Easter comes, we're going to shift gears to a different theme that has to do with how he makes a difference. But I want us to settle in our own way who Jesus is so that we can share him as we invite people to church in the best way possible. That we have it sorted out enough in our head that we can bring him into their lives. And that's really my hope in all of this. But it's also my hope that whoever is not connected to him in a way that's just not simply informational, but rather not connected relationally, I want to help you to do that. And there are many people here who also want to come alongside and help you in that way too. Because Jesus in different situations can become different things to us while at the same time being consistent in his love, in his character, in all of the attributes that the scripture describes. And maybe you need him in a special way in your life. And we want to help you open up that door. Would you bow with me? 
Father, as we just take this moment and we think about how dramatic it is for your son to reveal himself in this way, we recognize that in your word, Jesus assumes that everyone is asking that question. And Father, even as we go a little farther in that scripture, in verse 35, it says simply, your voice spoke from heaven into the circumstances of Jesus and his friends and said, this is my son. And we thank you, Father, that you validated everything that Jesus said about himself. And now you validate that in our lives as we embrace his presence in our own. I pray for those who have been walking alongside you, Jesus, for a while, that you find us more and more consistent. And I pray for those who are looking to see whether or not you're the real deal, that their hearts would be softened, that it would become fertile ground, that the seeds could be planted and then begin to germinate, and that we could come alongside and encourage and love on people who are experiencing that process, that deep process of change that we need each other for. Lord, we just ask these things in accordance to your will and purpose. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.